Welcome to Awakening Divine Wildness, hosted by inspirational speaker and best-selling author, Mal Duane. Mal invites you to embrace your divine wildness with powerful conversations with visionary women. Listen in and learn how to move from pain and heartache to forgiveness and freedom so you can live the life you deserve. Welcome to another episode of Awakening Divine Wildness. And I love, love, love my guest today because she talks my language. And she's not afraid to share. <laughs> and we just might take her there. So today's guest is Dr. Colleen Georges. Sure. And she's an owner, founder of Rescript Your Story, where she provides positive psychology-based life career coaching leads community wellness groups, and delivers speaking engagements. Colleen is also a Rutgers University lecturer in counseling and women's leadership and teaches psychology of women at Middlesex County College. Colleen received her doctorate in counseling from Rutgers and holds over a dozen coaching and counseling certifications. In her highly viewed TEDx talk, Rescripting the stories we tell ourselves, Colleen discusses how we can transform our lives by changing our internal dialogue. Colleen is author of a fabulous book that's coming out in March, Rescript the Story You're Telling Yourself, The Eight Practices to Quiet Your Inner Antagonist, Amplify Your Inner Advocate, and Author a Limitless Life. She's also a Huffington Post contributor and co-author of several books. Her expertise has been featured in various media, including Live Happy, Inspire Me Today, and Mashable. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you, Mal. I'm so excited to be here with you. As you know, I shared I'm a big fan of yours. Oh, that just makes my head go, ooh, ego, ego, ego. Uh, <laughs> That's well, a, okay. That's, That's fine. I, I love your book and thank you for letting me have a preview of it because it, it just hit a spark in me about a conversation that I'm always having with myself and with others about how we tell ourselves these stories. And yeah. like in my book, our old love story that how we grew up, we formulated a story about what love should look like. Right. And then we're grown up and we're in relationships using that old story and it doesn't work. Yep. So I want to go into the backstory first. Sure. What inspired your work? Because <laughs> all my ladies that come on have gone through a little bit of hell to get yeah. here and be, you know, such goddesses of wisdom. Share <laughs> a little bit about what you went through sure. to inspire what you do. Sure. You know, you're right. I, I think we get inspired to help others. We get inspired to write books because at least initially, and I think it grows beyond that, Initially, it's what you're going through, what you've been through. And, you know, I, th I think I've read some things that you've said. It's, it's our wounds that often sort of, you know, become our greatest strengths and become the reason that we want to help others and, and sort of spread a message. So for me, um, I feel like, you know, when I look back on, you know, being a little girl, when I look back on high school and I look back on a lot of my 20s, um, 
you know, everything for me was about um, wanting to please everybody else <laughs> um, and be, you know, very, very, very self-critical of myself, um, looking for, definitely looking for validation in relationships, um, you know, having, um, you know, I share a little bit in my, um, in my book about sort of the backstory of negative romantic relationships as well, which certainly connects with, with your book. Um, and staying in an emotionally abusive relationship for several years. But, you know, I think that I was primed for relationships like that because I really had a low opinion of myself. And I, um, I spent a lot of time criticizing every little thing I did, um, feeling like I was always making mistakes, feeling like I had no clue what I was doing in life, like where I was going in life, um, just having very low self-esteem, periods of just sort of being self-destructive. And um, I feel like that sort of played itself out in so many different places. And it ultimately led me to a couple of years where I was experiencing panic attacks to the point where I was having them daily, um, sometimes multiple times a day. And I always say the irony of the panic attacks for me was that I was in graduate school. I was studying to be a therapist and I literally had no damn idea that I was having panic attacks. I had no, I didn't know what was going on. And I was somatically manifesting all kinds of anxiety through panic, through my jaw locking up, through my back having problems, through my neck. I mean, just every physical somatic way I could manifest anxiety. And those anxieties had so much to do with the way that I was trying to make everybody else happy, never wanted to fail anybody, but constantly felt like I was failing myself. Now, you have a story similar to me of not feeling good about yourself at a very young age. I sought comfort in alcohol. It became my best friend. Yeah. You know, I had my first blackout at the age of 16. Alcohol made me feel funny, pretty, yeah. courageous, accepted. Yeah. Because I just felt worthless. Yeah. I mean, I had no self-esteem. Why does this happen to young women? It's oh, I, it's over and over and over again. I hear this story. Why? What can we do about that? You know, it's crazy because I think a lot of the reason that I work with, you know, teaching women's leadership and I work with so many women college students is obviously because when I was at, at that stage of my life, I felt like I was struggling so much. You know, I think that, you know, while while there have been changes, while, you know, we've come a long way when it comes to gender equality, we know we're not there. And I think we continue to, you know, receive a message as women, either, you know, from, you know, I, I think especially from sort of social systems and society and the media, but it, you know, manifests itself in other places as well. But we get a we get a message that you know, our, our role is to nurture and to care for and to take care of and to make sure everybody feels good and, you know, make sure that we're perfect for everybody and that we're juggling all the balls and we don't drop anything. And, you know, we have to be superhuman. Um, and that, yeah, that part of the, the dream of being a woman is that you'll get married and you'll have babies and you'll care for more people. And, you know, I, I think that we, we believe so much that that's what we're supposed to do. Um, but that's the dream we're supposed to be following. 
that that's what that's what we do. We chase it. And and it's not it's it's not a possible dream and it's not a way, it's not a self-love dream. It's it's a it's a taking care of everybody else but yourself dream. And it doesn't work. You end up failing yourself in the process. I mean, you also talk about, you know, that struggle with perfectionism, which oh. I think is part of that antagonistic um, you know, mindset. So let's let's get into the antagonist versus the advocate because <laughs> this is really juicy, juicy conversation. This yeah. this is the root of all evil and living a happy life. Agreed, agreed. You know, I think I always, I'm a very visual person and I've, I have a real visual of, not that I see their faces, but it's almost like I, I can see that it's sort of like they sit on your shoulder, like the angel and the devil, so to speak, you know, right. Oh. It's, it's, oh, I'm going to show you when I yeah. talk about ego, here she is. Can you see her? Yes. This is Louise, my ego. She is a vicious, nasty, nasty little girl. Yes. Now I've learned not to try to, you know, to eliminate her. Right. I've learned that we have yes. to work together. Yes. Oh God. I have to work with her to be happy. If yes. I try to fight with her and beat her down, it doesn't work. So when I read about your antagonist, Louise came right up. Oh my goodness. And you know, you say it perfectly. When I was, when I was writing and when I was thinking of the title, I originally had eradicate your inner advocate, your inner antagonist. And then I, I said, that's not it. It's not eradicating it. It's not going to be eradicated. And, and I don't want to be unrealistic. It's not going anywhere. It, that automatic Louise inner antagonist voice is going to talk to us. It's not going to stop doing that. But we can quiet its voice. We can shut it down. We could shut it up. <laughs> We can stop it from yapping too damn long and we can stop it as I think of, I think of the inner antagonist and the inner advocate, you know, in my book, I talk about them as, as two different narrators. If we're the protagonist of the story, the inner ad advocate and the inner antagonist are two different types of narrators, right? An antagonist in a story, of course, is the opposing force in your story. It's the, it's the one that wants to you know, shut down the protagonist, stop them from doing whatever it is they're trying to do, stop them from reaching their goals, cause them drama, cause them problems, tell them why they suck. And that's what our inner antagonist voice does. It says, you've made a bunch of mistakes. You're a failure. You're failing now. You failed before. You're going to fail again. You shouldn't even bother. Um, you know, you don't really deserve much because you're really no good. What are you good at anyway? What can you really do? You know, oh, you know, you should just wallow in all the awful things that have happened to you. Why don't you just mull it over and torture yourself? Because that's what you deserve. That's what the inner antagonist does. That's that narrator. <laughs> and I think most of us are pretty familiar with that narrator. <laughs> so now our advocate, which is really where we want to be connected most of the time. Yeah. Let's talk about the process that you use in your book that gets us more into that positivity of the advocate and kind of silences the the antagonist. Yeah, the advocate, I you know, I often sort of think of it as 
you know, it starts out, it's like a very nice, kind voice at first, you know, but it's kind of quiet. It's the, it's the antagonist that's the louder, more domineering one. We have to work harder to empower and amplify the voice of the advocate so that that's the voice we hear more often, that that's the voice that as soon as that little, at, you know, antagonist jumps in, the advocate, the advocate goes, you know, oh no, shut the hell up um, and shuts it right down. And I think that that's something that takes practice. And the whole idea of rescripting and sort of the eight practices of rescripting, and I have a, like a gazillion different little strategies to try out because we're all different and not everything is going to work, you know, exactly the same way for everybody. So I have different strategies within each practice to kind of check out and see if, you know, what works for us and what doesn't. But it's the idea of sort of working on these eight practices that help us to look within um, you know, uh, stop the the running old script and negative narration in our head and begin to rationalize with ourselves and begin to speak differently to ourselves. Um, yeah, so it's this idea. And Rescript is an acronym. <laughs> Explain that to the listeners. <laughs> so Rescripting is both sort of a metaphor for literally like Rescripting the words we say to ourselves, which is a lot of the strategies I sort of utilize in the book and I talk about and I talk about with my clients, but it's based in the idea that each letter of Rescript stands for something. And for me, it's the things that, um, that I've struggled with, but really just looking at the themes of the things that, you know, all the, the clients I've worked with over the years, um, what some of my students over the years have shared in classes, um, talked about in papers. I mean, things that so many people do struggle with and, and looking at the themes. And so the first R is to release rumination, mm. right? Yeah. One of the most awful and common and evil things that human beings do to themselves is we perseverate on a perceived mistake we made, a perceived shortcoming we have, some conversation we had with somebody, something we wrote, something we did, and we break it down, we analyze the shit out of it to try to determine how we fucked up. And we keep running it and running it and running it. And there's no purpose to it because it's just more self-torture, oftentimes over things that aren't even real. We just make them up. And even if they were, it keeps us in our head and it disempowers us because we're not doing anything. We're just running these awful lot things. Oh, you did this. You said that. Why does this person look at me that way? Why didn't they text me back? Am I going to get the job? No one's called me. You know, um, so-and-so hasn't spoken to me in days. Why? What did I do? You know, it runs, it wallows in old pain and runs through these old awful stories so the first is how do we release rumination? Letting go of all the negative following and that stuff. And I gotta tell you, I, I'm guilty of that. I've done it. Yeah. It's so depleting. It is so draining. Uh, and, and Tony Robbins taught me a trick years ago about negative thinking. And, and so I still use that. If I'm in that place of remunerating over and over about some tiny, stupid little ass thing, mm -hmm. I will pull an elastic on my wrist and let that go and just say, that's it. We're breaking this right now. We are yeah. stopping this right now because this is like 
a, a dog chasing their tail till they collapse, you know, right. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't go um, anywhere. You're right. Nope. It just goes in literally in circles, just like a dog chasing their tail. Mm-hmm. We don't do anything about it. So the first is how do we, you know, sort of release the ruminating thoughts. The second is engaging. They say the E is for engaging growth goals instead of evading them. So the things that we want to do, you know, those big, you know, sort of ways that we know that we're going to grow ourselves, whether it's professionally or personally or spiritually, or just something we know we want to do. And it's scary and it's going to take us out of our comfort zone. And so then that antagonist starts yapping and telling you why you're not good enough for that and how you're going to screw that up and you're not going to be able to do that. And you should just avoid it because it's probably just a better idea to avoid it and stay in your lane, stay where you are. It's comfortable here. Even if it's not comfortable, <laughs> just stay where you are. You don't know what's in that, you know, that fire, or that frying pan over there. And so it's engaging the growth goals instead of evading them going after the things that terrify you, but you know that are going to make you better, make you stronger, grow you outside of where you, you are right now. That's E. Mm-hmm. Um, the S is for seeking strengths instead of scrutinizing your shortcomings. So making a very intentional effort every single day to assess what you're great at, assess what your strengths are, know them. I mean, there are assessments out there that'll tell you what they are, but you can do a lot of different, you know, sort of exercises to, um, to think about, you know, what have you been successful at? What have you done? Well, what strengths are you, you, you using? Are there themes there? Are there things that seem to always come up, things that people go to you for all the time, using those strengths every single day, instead of just sort of, as we often do, number one, a lot of times we don't even know what they are, but we're really, really good at rattling off all the things we suck at, but we don't know what we're great at. And, and I think that on some level, and I learned this while I don't really write resumes anymore, I, I really learned when I was a resume writer for many years, I learned that when you ask somebody what they're great at, they, they have a hard time telling you. Even the most gifted, talented, successful human beings feel like like you're not supposed to do that, that we're not supposed to talk up ourselves. Like that's, that's, I gotta be humble, especially women. We should be humble. We shouldn't brag about ourselves like that. But how we do ourselves a disservice because one, we're not letting ourselves be aware of what we're great at. We're spending all this time thinking about what we're not great at. And how can you go out into the world and use all of your superpowers if you don't even know what they are? Yeah. Right on, girl. That's my S. (laughs) Um, My C is my favorite because it's the one I continue to struggle with the most. And I say it's the one that I have to keep my my eye on the most in my own life still to this day, which is challenge catastrophizing. I am a gifted catastrophizer. (laughs) I love that word, by the way. I thought that was brilliant. Loved it. Catastrophizer. Oh, I I identify. Yeah. You know, that, right, it's that idea that it's not the ruminating looking on the past. Now we're looking at the future and it's that little thing that goes wrong. It's something small, sometimes. Sometimes it might be something big, but it's usually a little thing that goes wrong. And then having the ability, what I call, it's like a chain. And I actually talk about this in the book. It's we perceive the first thought of the thing that goes wrong to be connected like A to B, but it's really A to Z. Their B through Y are in there. 
And all of B through Y would have needed to happen to get from A to Z. But we we can link them so damn fast, <laughs> right? Like, like they are directly connected to each other. Because, you know, I said this thing, so-and-so hates me and I'm we're never going to speak again. I've totally screwed up the entire thing. I say one thing in a job interview and I leave and I go, oh yeah, they're never going to hire me. I'm never going to get a job. I'm, I'm going to be at this job for the rest of my life. They're probably going to fire me at this job too. I don't even know what's going to happen to me. My career is totally over. Boom, 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 boom. So that's my C. <laughs> Good examples. I love it. And we're all guilty of it. Yeah. And we do it in relationships and dating. We do it everywhere. We can just make mountains on molehills. Um, the second R is restrict regret, right? The looking back, the shoulda, woulda, coulda. If I had just done this, this would have happened. I made mistakes. I, I feel shame. I feel guilt. Why did I do this? You know, I ruined my life. I ruined this. I stopped myself from this kind of happiness. I should have done this when I was 20. I would have blah, 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 blah. All that stuff we do that looks back and imagines what could have been as if there's some sliding doors out there because we have right, you know, ideas if we could have made one choice and then there was all these pathways. We made the choices we made. We made them for a reason. They take us where we're supposed to go. <laughs> and the um the i is for invite imperfection are you a fan of brene brown no love her. Love, her, <laughs> love her oh i love her she's wonderful she is the first ted talk i ever heard and i think i got very um sort of enamored with the idea of imperfection especially being a recovering perfectionist um as we we're kind of talking about earlier so the idea that when we allow uh, ourselves to be flawed, uh, physically flawed, emotionally flawed, psychologically flawed, behaviorally flawed, to just be imperfect human beings in an imperfect world um, and allow ourselves to bear that imperfection to other people. I think, one, there's nothing left to hide anymore. There's nothing left to feel bad about anymore. And you give other people permission to do the same thing. I think it's one of the most important thing we can do as women is to own our story. Yeah. Good, bad, whatever doesn't define you. No. And by owning it, it makes you so much stronger. You yeah. know, uh, I'm very open about being in recovery and my struggles yeah. with alcohol and, you know, other issues I've had. And the more I talk about them, the stronger I get. The Absolutely. I mean, I become fearless about this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, I, in the book, I, you know, I, I share some stories about, you know, getting a DWI when I was 19. I talk about, you know, an, a shopping addiction that was sort of, you know, the way I was attempting to fill all my perceived voids in my life. Um, you know, uh, obviously a, a number of other, you know, things that I've done that, um, that at the time, you know, you think you got to hide from the world, but you realize you're just human. You're just human. And, and those are the things that teach you the most. All of those things that we do that we think are so shameful and so awful. Those are the things that help you in your own life and they help you help other people. You learn so damn much from all that stuff. Yeah. So, so that's my, the I, the P is pursue passion and purpose. And another, you know, again, what I think is so critically important is you know, I have something in that chapter called val value your voice. 
And I think that's something especially big for women. It's something I talk a lot about in my classes um, is, you know, poet Audre Lorde talked about, you know, transforming silence into language and action and using your voice for good and speaking your truth. And, um, and when there's something that you think is important to stand up for yourself, to stand up for others, to stand up for causes that matter to us, the importance of infusing things that we love to do, things that bring us meaning, um, either into our work or our personal life, but to just make sure we're, we're keeping ourselves alive and inspired and motivated in a world where sometimes you hear a lot of phrases. If you ask somebody that you run into on the street, how you doing? Oh, same old, same old. You know, how you doing? Oh, you know, it's Monday, mm-hmm. right? We have this very passive way of sort of thinking, well, life just gets old and boring. I guess that's just what happens. And so this chapter is about resisting the idea that we have to just let things happen and that you can always keep life exciting and purposeful and passionate. Wonderful. And? And then the final one is the one that probably transformed my life the most, think thankfully. Um, A gratitude practice that I started after I want to say it was about the year 2000 um, when I was really dealing more deeply with the panic attacks, full swing, and just really being in a very, very bad emotional place and, you know, a lot of debt, <laughs> a lot of debt from buying my way out of sadness. Um, I, I went to the bookstore and I saw Gratitude, A Way of Life by Louise Hay. I bought it. Something told me to buy it. I don't even, I'll never know why. And it changed my life. And I've been practicing gratitude for 19 years every day. Isn't it interesting how the universe puts something right in front of us when we need it to the point where you just can't ignore it? I mean, no, it's there. And no, and, and you don't even know why. No. And, and the same yeah. thing happened with me with a, a book that was for women in recovery. And I was like, what is this? And it was Ruth Fishel. Um, and it was this little daily read thing. And I was like, Oh, yeah. First few spoke to me. It was like, Oh, it was like a knife in me. It was like, Oh my God, this was, does she know me? This was like, yes. Yeah. That's the universe talking to us. Yeah. Can't ignore that. That was, I think what I realized when that book, when I began to read people's stories of practicing gratitude, I started to understand that I operated from a deficit mentality. I felt internally and externally deprived. I wasn't, but I believed I was. So that's all that really mattered because I couldn't see what I had. I couldn't see my strengths. I couldn't see all the good people I had in my life. I couldn't see all the resources I had. I couldn't see all the good stuff. And I operated as if, you know, again, as if I was filled with voids that needed to be filled. Um, as if I had all these deficits and practicing gratitude makes you realize that you you're abundant with everything you already need. Even if you, even if there are still things that you can grow, you see all the good stuff and it helps you sort of grow more good stuff. <laughs> it's, it's constantly turning the soil in the yeah. garden, in the mental garden so yeah. that those good seeds can grow. Yeah. Colleen, this is just wonderful. I mean, it's so informative. And on top of all of this, you have a wonderful 
free gift for the audience of yes. beautiful workbooks. So please, would you tell them about that and how they can get it? Sure. It's called um, Rescript Your Story Workbook. It's like a little companion to the book. It's available on my website, which is www.colleengeorges.com. You'll see it right sort of toward the top there. You can click on it, sign up, download it. And it is, um, it can be used with the book. So when the book comes out, um, you know, it has some little, little strategies that are in the book, sort of, uh, you know, a little quiz and a little assessment of sort of your life satisfaction, a little quiz of, you know, different, maybe negative thought patterns we might have to get a sense of which ones are the ones that might plague us the most or which we're struggling with. And um, yeah, and worksheets to kind of get right in, jump right into the process of rescripting. And oh, that, that I love works. it. You're a smart cookie. You love You're a smart lot. cookie too. You <laughs> learned a lot on this journey, girl. I love it. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. I'm honored to have you. And, you know, I wish you every success with the book. I, I know so how exciting that is because yes. I'm birthing my new baby a month after you. I so I, I totally understand this process and just, you know, how exhilarating and exciting it is. But it's a fabulous, fabulous book. It's wonderful. Thank you. As as is yours, because, of course, I've been privy to to jump into your book as well. And I'm really, really, really excited. And you know, I, I, I just replugging your book too, because I'll tell you, Mel, you brought me right back to a time in my life, my broken open moment. You talk about having a broken open moment, and we we all have one. And you brought me right back to that moment where you realize I got some work to do. Mm -hmm. yep. yeah. That's, it happens for a reason. It has purpose and meaning. That's what we need to understand. Everything that happens to us has purpose and meaning. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. That's why there's no regrets and no mistakes. <laughs> got it. Thank you, lady. Thank you so much, Mal. I'm so, so excited I got to talk with you today. Thanks for listening to Awakening Divine Wildness. Coming soon, Mal will release her new book, Broken Open, Embracing Heartbreak and Betrayal as Gateways to Unconditional Love. Get VIP access to free gifts and where to get the book on its April 17th release date at brokenopen-book.com.